Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Sentimental Garbage, a podcast where we talk about the chiclet that made us who we are. My name is Karen O'Donoghue. I'm an author, a journalist, and a blind worm whose vision is based on smell. Joining me is tarot consultant and a woman so hot she might just save the world, Jen County. <laughs> you should have warned me. That was the intro. I never warn anyone about the intros and I love watching their faces. I was just like, what? She, she tells lies. I love this audio treatment. Um, so hello. T- hello. Hello, my friend. Um, today we're talking about the fantasy series, A Court of Thorns and Roses, or Akatar, or as you have been putting it to me for the last however long. A court of horns and boners. <laughs> I, um, I do struggle to remember its real title at times. I know, so I'm it, sorry it's such that, an unwieldy title, and you have to like pause and be like, like. So the background of me coming to these books is that um, you and I love young adult fantasy, um, anything where there's a brave girl up against. <sighs> A whole weird society and she needs to dismantle it or whatever. Uh, You and me are just there on the front lines and I get a lot of my YA recommendations from you. Mm -hmm. But for the last few years, you've been going on about these things, a court of of thorns and roses. And finally, a few weeks ago, we were on holidays in France, which we do every year Mm -hmm. and we love very much. And you and our friend Caitlin Breeze uh, said, now is the time. (laughs) You have to read it now. And so I just got in, I got to two books and they are not short books. No. In they in like four days. Like I think there's like uh, several days where I just did not speak to you and Caitlin. Well you did. You gave us wonderful updates. <laughs> yeah. And occasionally you just look us in the eye and be like it's not going to go like this and it's that awkward thing where you're like well it's obviously going to go like this Caroline and I can't tell you I can't spoil yeah. it book for you mid-read and you were really good go. about it you were Thanks. so you're so good at you're very annoying in that I want you to be like tell me and you're like <laughs> you gotta read <laughs> you had to read I, I yeah. love seeing you go through it. Uh, oh. But what what I love about this book, because um, funnily enough, we haven't done this, we haven't done a lot of erotica, and there is a, certainly a huge amount of erotica in this book, yes. and we haven't done any fantasy. And I'm, I love the intersection of sexy trash and garbage mm. fantasy. I absolutely love it too. Yeah, it's just, it's proper pulpy magic filth. It's a really beautiful Venn diagram. Yeah. Some big knobs in the middle of it. And <laughs> <laughs> I was genuinely like, I think I'm going to lower the tone of your podcast quite significantly. It needs lowering. Like, why have classics when you can have yeah. something that inspired a penis made out of soap, which this book once did. It did. Yes, there was a there was an online controversy where this book, which is, is written like a young adult book, and you'd be forgiven mm. if you were just glancing through the first you know, a few chapters thinking of an adult book, but actually it is a genre called N.A. Yes. And can you explain to our listeners what N.A. is? Because I'd never heard that term before. Well, I believe it's new adult. So I think it's catering to the fact that young adult is often read by women in their 20s and 30s. And hello. feel a bit, hello, that's <laughs> us. Um, oh, a dog went by. Um, sorry. Yes, there's, a, there's a dog in this office. It's I'm so sorry. So new adult caters for women in their 20s and 30s. And... Uh, because women tend to feel a bit embarrassed going to the teen section of the bookshop, I mm. think. Um, not me. I personally love going in there, browsing, and then buying unashamedly, having been a bookseller for a long time. So New Adult caters for these women, but also there is a little bit more graphic sex in it, which yeah. I think is no bad thing. Um, and we should point out this book is not actually, this is not Fifty Shades of Grey. This is not like some kind of weird erotic novel. It just is very horny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like... like- the, the like all the tropes you want and mm. need from fantasy is there like fantasy it's, romance boning it's got all three and it's got them in spades yeah it really and on top of that like it's it's not just i'm going to get into the pot somewhere real soon um, but it's not just a very good fantasy mm. it's not just a very horny book which it's both those things it's also what well, and why i brought up the podcast today is it's because it's a series, mm. what it does is the first book sets up this thing, this world that is incredibly recognisable, this 
relationship dynamic that's incredibly recognisable and the second book absolutely shatters it. Oh, the rug pull of it. It's such a heel turn and it's so exciting and invigorating and and rewarding. And so refreshing for that kind of genre as well for what it does. Like, I read the first book. I reread my own review of it from when I first read it and my review was basically, well, this is lovely and a bit silly, but... You know, she's bad at riddles. That's annoying. Yeah. And then I read the second one and was like, oh, I take it all back. Yeah. This is yeah. spectacular. And like Everyone the absolute game of like oh. setting up a 300 page novel to just undermine everything you'd put in that first I, novel. I think it might even be 500 pages of bread coming and, she might, and laying some just solid foundations that she just blows. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going um, to get into it. the plot summary. And uh, I'm going to say this was like with all fantasy books. You, you get so much plot as you're going that yes. it's really hard to sum it up in like a paragraph, but I've tried <laughs> real hard. I believe in you. Let's um, hear it. Okay. <clears throat> a Court of Thorns and Roses is a fantasy retelling of the Beauty and the Beast myth starring Feyre, a hunter who lives on the border of the human world and Prithian, a fairy kingdom that humans live in fear of. We all good so far? Yep, got it. One winter day, Feyre shoots a fairy. I hate that her name is Feyre and she hates fairies. Yeah, it's... It's annoying. <laughs> I think it's great that you don't have to read her name aloud when you're reading the book, just yeah. in your head. <laughs> One winter day, Feyre shoots a fairy disguised as a wolf and because of the fairy human law, owes her life to Tamlin, who is the lord, one of the lords of Prithian. As Tamlin's captive, Feyre falls in love, but doesn't break the curse over Tamlin's kingdom in time and so has to fight Amarantha... A high witch who controls the land. This is, again, that was, even getting through that bit is like, I know I'm leaving a lot out, but just trust me, listener. After a series of trials, she sets Tamlin and the whole kingdom free, but she soon learns in book two that Tamlin himself isn't all he is cracked up to be. Oh, I think you did a very good job of Considering how many subplots there are in this thing. I mean, there are so many subplots and it's also deeply inspired by kind of Disney's Beauty and the Beast as well. You get a lot of that in there and you've got the Tamlin like mythology and you, it, there's just so much all thrown together yeah. into a big melting pot. But what I what I even liked in... So what, in general, what I like about these books is mm. like, I think a lot of people have made the comparison before that uh, Beauty and the Beast and a lot of like Disney romance mm. things are kind of like about Stockholm Syndrome, basically, oh, of like yeah. someone captures you, you have to live with them, they turn out to be nice, really, you're in love. Yeah. And that is... And, and then you know, in this series, that gets investigated properly. Properly. And that, I mean, that retelling of Beauty and the Beast, you, you, I picked it up, I knew it was going to be, I read it and I was like, yeah, fantastic. She's done a, she's done a great job. She's given me a lovely story. There's yeah. a bit more sort of like fruitiness to it than you'd usually get. There's a bit more conflict, a bit more jeopardy. Yeah. But you get to the end of that book and you think, all right, she's done a solid job of that. But yes, yeah. when, well, are we going to talk about it yet? Are we going to talk about Let's talk about the first book first and then we'll talk about how everything gets exploded. it all gets exploded. So One yes. of the really things things I really liked about Farrah from the beginning, and she's your typical Katniss Everdeen, really. She's very like, I've had to live so long to survive that I don't know what jokes are anymore. She's in the forest and she's like, once I would have painted this. Oh, yeah. She, she loves, loves to paint. To paint. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's so much fun talking about like the tropes of the of the oh, kind of fantasy heroine. Because okay, so her deal is is that her uh, family used to be super rich, but um, she was very young when they lost it all, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting setup. And yeah. so she's got these two older sisters who've kind of been brought who up as high ladies bitches. at the beginning. Yeah, they yeah. just one of them is just sort of useless and like I I like flowers. Oh, I'm too delicate to do any hard work. Totally, and the other one is just like I resent losing my fortune which fair I mean I, I could understand both of them but yeah. also they do get a kind of ugly sister treatment slightly they do. in the beginning yeah and Farrah is there out in the forest hunting for game Katniss Everdeen style but yeah. also thinking about the painting she would once have painted <laughs> she loves to paint um, I, and I say this with, with great affection for her because I know I have I great affection her, for her but too but it is so silly as a sort of start point you're like alright cool <laughs> No, it's a I've bit of it. like, um, oh, she's not just a tough bitch. She no. also has this like sensitive side. She does. I think they say it at one point being like, she's a warrior with the soul of an artist. I th- I think they say it a few times. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of need to like, just who, sort of roll your eyes past that a little bit. Who wouldn't want to be described like that? 
<laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it on my Twitter profile, but if someone just said, oh, that Jen, she's a warrior with the soul of an artist, I wouldn't hate it. <laughs> you wouldn't, like, jump to correct them, really. You wouldn't jump there, but that's the whole point of reading this kind of fantasy, is that it's, right? you know, it's such an escape. Like, it's it's the most sentimental garbage of sentimental yes. garbage. Like, it couldn't go much further. They're allowed to be so melodramatic and so over the top in the way they develop these characters yeah. and what happens to them that you just get to live your most like bizarre life and it's them. that thing of like not only is she this like self-sufficient mm. like hard as shit hunter not oh, only yeah. is she also this talented artist she is also incredibly beautiful and it's that thing of like oh she's so hot but does she know it nope oh no <laughs> Not a clue has she. Oh, and it's 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 oh my god, it's so funny. It's like this like um she's like I I looked at my reflection and like I'd lost so much weight that my eyes were big and limpid. It's like she's basically like describing Winona Ryder in the nineties. And like, she's like, oh. Oh, I just don't look that great anymore with my waist golden, length golden gold curls. And, and I mean it's perfect. It's that sort of thing where you go, All right, sure, I've got it, you're incredibly hot and yeah. you're good at hunting. And you're good at painting. Yeah. And things are a bit bad. But she's damaged. She's damaged. I mean, that she is... She is damaged. Yeah. And one thing I would say about the series, I got to the end and I did do a little inventory in my head and I was like, every single character is quite damaged. And I think in some yeah. ways that's a weakness, in other ways a great strength because yeah. you get people... People get to have their trauma. People get to have their experiences. Yeah. And what's interesting as well is because all these fairy characters mm. and the deal with fairies, because like, I think that... There's different um, cultural iterations of what a fairy is. It's like they are kind of more like the elves from Lord of the Rings in that they are beautiful and they live for a very, very, very long time. And they're like the high high fae, I believe they're called. They're essentially Tolkien's elves. Just imagine them that way. Yeah. Very attractive. Slightly shorter haircuts a lot of the time. Yeah. A bit more emotion. But essentially... And they're like 500 years old, most Oh, of them. I mean, like minimum. Yeah, deathless. Like that's like, you know, they're barely hitting your stride at 500. These guys yeah. have been around for centuries and millennia, some of them. And so and like it, it tussles with that kind of question of immortality. Mm. But it also questions... I've, I've seen that dealt yeah. with a lot. Like that's not a new theme and it's interesting. But um, actually Cersei by Madeline Miller is a great... Like Tussle yeah. with the Mortality book that came out last Does year. Does it so beautifully in a way that you don't really get in this book. Like, you know, no. they're really old, but no one's ever saying, what would it be like to have literally been around yeah. for 2,000 years and how weird would you get? That's not a question that's asked. But what it does ask and what I did appreciate is that it's like, if you've been alive for 500 years, then shit has happened to oh, you. Yes. And also the fact that everyone that you know is also been alive for 500 years, it means that there is a callous approach to violence mm. and... Because because they're kind of deathless, they do incredibly disturbing things to one another. Yeah. They're very they're a very cruel people. Yeah, and, and I think that's borrowed so much as well from kind of fairy mythology. This idea yeah. that they don't have a, a moral compass a lot of the time, and even I mean, even if you read sort of like Icelandic folklore about it, it's just like they could be really good or really bad. Depends how they're feeling that day. Yeah, and there's something quite it's very that delightfully sinister about these this sort of race of people who are powerful and beautiful and genuinely have no sense of ethics they just don't have that yeah. built-in compass and it's like um and again I, I didn't expect myself to be comparing this to Madeline Miller because she is not mm. garbage at all nope. she is really really just brilliant all the way through um there is that thing of like in Madeline Miller's book she talks about how the gods are so callous and unfeeling because they're deathless and mm. they um just kind of play with the lives of mortals yes. and it explains so much of what gods do in the Iliad just yeah. like oh and we just like fuck things up for this character just because we were bored we like, didn't have anything else to do so yeah. I guess we should and you do get a little, a little touch of that in uh, in old Akatar. I'm not even going to bother trying to say Akatar. its name Akatar. You, yeah. get, you get these few characters who who are doing horrible things just for fun and yeah. you kind of believe them. You go, oh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I absolutely believe. That callousness believe makes sense. That you would do that because you've got a lot of time to fill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and totally. what are humans to you but playthings? Yeah, and, and that is the dynamic that we're going into here. So um, uh, Feyre goes to live in Tamlin's manor. It's called the Spring Court. This fairy yes. world is divided into different courts. Se- first, the seasonal courts. Spring, summer, autumn and winter. And then the solar courts. Day, dawn and night. Yes. All the other way around. Which is, you know, it's, yeah. it's it's your standard, like, ah, different areas have different things. And, you know, spring court, it's eternally spring. Summer court, eternally summer. You, you get can, the you picture can do the there. Map. Yeah. Uh, there's the day court, very day. The night court, which is the sinister place. Essentially Scotland on the map. <laughs> 
if you look at it, it's, yeah. it's a fairly obvious. So basically, the beginning of these books start with a map of the UK, <laughs> but they're all and like Ireland is called Highburn, and it's the bad place. I mean, and I think you made this point when we were on holiday. You were kind of like, on the one hand, it's bad that Ireland is the enemy. On the other, for once, we get to be the sort of the invading aggressors. Of yeah, the it's actually great. <laughs> like I've never once seen Ireland, the Ireland represented as the invading aggressors. Yeah. It's like cool. The ones who are like the Eye of Sauron is basically right there. <laughs> <laughs> across the sea that is essentially the premise um, and yes yeah, so then you've got the Night Court which is essentially Scotland and that's the very little bad, is known about the, the Night Court until book two yes um, but so she's and they, they take um, human lives as we said very callously and so she's going into this world where and it actually you know it makes total sense where she's like she's li- she's been brought up to fear these people yeah. and to fi- actually they are kind of barbaric but she's been led to believe they're even more barbaric she, than they she are she hates them she's just like I and even in the very early stages of the book, you get this this clear establishment that she would she would kill one if she saw one just yeah. because they're awful and they steal women and take them across the border and do yeah. unspeakable things to them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And and it's like and it's never like what's nice is like it's never like, Oh no, you were wrong. It was all your silly human propaganda. It's like you no, weren't no. wrong. No, it's <laughs> but there are more shades to us than that. <laughs> there yeah, but but in the main you were completely correct. <laughs> yeah. This is not like you don't want to go through that big wall um, into how do you even say Prithian? Prithian, yes, sure. into the fairyland. You don't want to go there, and and indeed, generally, one wouldn't in almost any book about fairies. But she does. She gets. She gets. She, yeah, she gets submerged into this. dragged up across the wall. Yeah, because still, she's told it's part of this pact that she's yeah. killed a fairy, and therefore her life must be given in return. Yes, and he's and she's like, well, then take me out of the woods and gut me right now. And yeah. he's like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, well, I wasn't gonna. I was gonna ask you to come live that. in my house. That's all. <laughs> and thus the Beauty and the Beast story begins. And the, and <laughs> and then, yes, it becomes quite clear that he like needs her there to fall yes. in love with him to fulfill this curse that has been placed on him and that has been draining his magic for yes. fifty years. So he is a powerful lord, but he is a shadow of the power he once had. Yes, he also has a mask stuck to his face. Yeah, <laughs> which is so, so. Rather than being, I think she couldn't go so far as to make him the beast like in the Disney movie. He yeah. can turn into a beast. That's one of his magic powers. Mm-hmm. But the main visible sign of being cursed is that he's constantly wearing what sounds like a Venetian carnival mask. Yeah, which, which, which is kind of a haunting, sexy, sort of gross yeah. image, right? It's like stuck, and everyone in that, stuck in that room is like, it's fused to their face. Yeah. And it's that thing of like, so Aramantha, the main um, villain of the piece, mm-hmm cast the spell on them during a mask ball and they're all like stuck with these masks yeah. on which is, I kind of enjoy as a she's got a sense of, of, of style visuals, and irony yeah. she's really just got the optics there hasn't <laughs> <Yeah>. she <laughs> I don't hate it I mean I should but I don't yeah, I don't, I don't hate it um, and so you know she falls in love with him uh, mm-hmm. and it's kind of it is very Taylor's oldest time. It's it, like, it is. Oh, I like nudge I mean, towards you. You nudge towards me. Oh, I I hurt your hand. You your hand gets hurt and I fix it. Like and I painted. Um, but there is also the bit with the uh, the the right of something, which is very not Beauty and the Beast. <sighs> Callan Mai, I believe. Callan, okay, yeah, okay. So the first time, <laughs> the first time you get an inkling that this book is going to go into some different supremely territory. horny territory. <laughs> is, okay, so he says to her, and she's been living there for a couple of months, and they're getting on fairly well. Mm. They haven't kissed yet or anything, but it's like clearly something's brewing. Yeah, and uh, he's like, um, "You need to stay inside this day," and she's like, "Why?" <laughs> I want to come to the party. And there's this feast, the summer feast called Callan Mai. Yes. Explain to me what Callan Mai is. Uh, so Callan Mai is essentially a big fairy orgy, um, <laughs> which is required for the ongoing uh, fertility of the land. So the Lord of the Spring Court, that's Tamlin, the main mm-hmm. love interest, has to, basically has to have sex with somebody. And in doing so, just sort of release a... Big chism of power that replenishes the land. Like that's yeah. essentially how it's Which, described. Cool. <laughs> I mean, cool, but also it's such a sort of, it's such an odd thing that you're reading. You're like, okay, Beauty and the Beast tell us all this time, and then you go, sorry, what? <laughs> you have to do orgy in the mountain. <laughs> you have to do what? I mean, where is my invite? This sounds fantastic. It's fantastic. It's also the kind. Of, so it's a, it's like a he like a sort of a. F- Spell kind of comes over him. Yes, he becomes he, the hunter. Yeah, and he, right? he kind of enters a sort of a, a warp spasm yes. where he just needs to fuck everything. Yes, and so he fucks somebody, and then it's like, and then but then everybody Willingly. fucks because it's like an orgy celebration, yes. and they just fuck all night. Yes, 
And he says, like, you know, if you come out... At, you he will, doesn't you tell will. her. He doesn't tell her why. He's just like, you can't come out. And then she does go out. Yeah. And then... It becomes very clear that she will be raped if she stays out. And it's, yes. like, genuine jeopardy. You like, are kind of genuinely concerned for her, what's going to happen to her. Fortunately, there is another character who's kind of a hot ginger. Um, yes. What's who, his name again? Lucian. Lucian, yes. Kind of, they obviously describe him as being fox-like because he's a ginger man in a book. So he yeah. Be. But, <laughs> uh, and he's the only of, way. Oh, give me that. Uh, so he kind of finds her and is like, absolutely not. Get back in your bedroom. Um, and, yeah. you know, she avoids anything. But she's not, he's not the only person that she meets at this thing. Oh, she meets someone horrible, doesn't she? Or who seems to be horrible. <laughs> well, look. She meets a man called Orfieri. <laughs> called... They actually make a point in these books. Like if someone refers to a fairy as a man, they'll be like, I'm not a man, I'm a fairy. <laughs> That's very interesting, isn't it? Because yes. um, they, they say male and female, but they never say man and yep. woman. They say Always a male, male fairy or a female fairy. Yeah. Which is an interesting... I think she kind of makes them... and. and... The characters, the fairy characters are kind of animalistic. There's much more of that sense of like, there's lots of like tooth bearing and snarling and yeah. kind of like growling. And she uses all these. He growled in approval. Yeah, these kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I took off my clothes and he growled in approval. Oh, absolutely. What does that did. sound like? You're like, it's literally like I'm watching The Lion King. <laughs> but, but the un. Version. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I and mean, you feel the love tonight. <laughs> but yeah, so they have these kind of slightly animalistic thing going on. Yeah. And they are fairies. They're definitely not men or women. They're fairies. Yeah. But she meets someone called. And I'm, do you know what? I'm going to really struggle to say these names again. Resand. Yeah, Resand. But he's called Reese. That's yeah. easy enough because I don't know how you say. And, and she describes him as the most beautiful man I have ever seen. The most beautiful man she's ever seen, but he turns out to be. The High Lord of the Night Court. Who is the sworn enemy. The sworn enemy. Sworn, sworn enemy of, of Tamlin. <laughs> and I believe after that meeting, he leaves a little present of like some decapitated heads on a fountain or something. Yeah. So, so just, a bad, bad boy. So again, like what I love about this book is she doesn't just sort of say, oh, he's a bad boy. Like she really shows it. And you're like, oh, no, that, he does seem yeah. a bit off. <laughs> that's, he, that's an unusual greeting sort of gift. So you get that sense of really what they're like. But then to go back to the Calamai thing, so the night of the Calamai, she goes back to her, she goes back to the house and she's like, wow, that was distressing, but also I feel left out. (laughs) (laughs) That's one thing I also love about these books. They're so sex positive. Exactly. They're so sex positive. You don't have, there's no shame there. There's no kind of like, ooh, I'm tittering and like, I don't, I don't know if I should do that or I shouldn't. She's, and even in the early stages of the book, before she gets taken to Prithian, uh, you see Farah having sex. Like, and yeah, kind and of she's like, really frank that like she's yeah. had sex and she and like it's not romantic, but she's like, I have a thing with the village boy, yeah. and it's like the one release I have. Yeah, and she's she's pretty depressed to be honest, and she's yeah, getting she's a, a role in the literal Hague. They go in a barn and they have some sex, and that sort of is a great tone that you even in YA you don't always get. You don't always get a book that will just happily say it's normal and healthy to have sex and yeah. to enjoy sex as a young woman. And so when and you she, don't need to be with someone yeah. who's the love of your life in order to enjoy the physicality no, of, of sex. Yeah. And I think that this is something that repeatedly throughout this series you get really well established is the sense that there is a difference between sex and love and they're both absolutely great. And yeah. you, don't, you don't have to have one in order to do the other, which you so rarely get, particularly in a kind of Beauty and the Beast retelling where it's my one true love and right? breaks and the spell and that's the only person I'll ever sleep with and so on and so forth. And even though she has this romance brewing with Tamlin, he comes back from this thing and it's, it's, it's it, I mean, you're kind of almost expecting, yeah. oh, and he didn't fuck anyone. And he's like, no, I fucked tons of yeah. people. <laughs> However, I like you the most. It's like I did, but I but I really wanted you. I could smell you there, and you're kind of like, oh god, oh jeez, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, calm down. But uh, but yeah, she has this feeling where she goes, uh, I, some bit of her really wanted to be up there. Yeah, and you're and, with her, you're and, with and, her. and fairly soon after that, they do uh, get they to do, fucking. They do. Oh, they do. They get to fucking. They do. <laughs> And it's and and honestly, I I like S. J. Mass's sex scenes. I mean, yeah. they are overwritten in the sense that they are pure romance novel. Yeah. they're very like you know, uh, thrusting that cut into the very core of me and like. Oh, of course, of course. But again, like you get, they're very they're very graphic. You yeah. know what's going down, and it also is not vanilla. You know, she yeah, she goes she goes into some some fun times. And it's also again that sex positivity in like. The, the woman always has an active, Feyre always has like an active role yes. during sex. She's not just like being taken. She's not being ravished. Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's not like, oh, I suppose I'll permit you to sort of yeah. lie me down and whatever. It's, it's so she's, driven she by mutual it. desire. Yeah, yeah. She wants it and she's, and there's absolutely no questions 
asked about that. She's yeah. allowed to want it. It's great. We love it. It's really good. And, you know, all this is great. And then the... the they've had sex. So they've and had then, sex. of course... The curse Cameron comes into effect. Says, you better go home now. It's not safe for you here. Which, of course, is what every woman wants to hear about. No, it's not safe <laughs> From their here. new lover. It's not safe for you here. Because he has lots of enemies, because yeah. he's got this witch, Aramantha, who's after him or whatever. And he says, you have, he says, you have to go now. Puts her in a carriage, sends her back to her um, house. And, she, and he's like, I love you. And she goes, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, such a moment where we go, oh, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> and, she, and she does love him, but she's also very, very damaged yeah. and also pissed that she's being sent away. Yeah. But unfortunately, it was a test. Oh, she failed she the, the test. And, her no. fa- and, you know, the whole Beauty and the Beast sort of curse, which is that, like, he will be enslaved until this thing lifts and the deadline is up and now the entire kingdom is enslaved and basically everything was riding on yes. them riding. <laughs> yes, and and yes, it, they did and yet she didn't say it. She didn't say it so and it so doesn't count. Tamlin is dragged into this sort of like Hieronymus Bosch painting. <laughs> <laughs> that is, su- I mean, that is such a good description of exactly where he's dragged. It's called Under the Mountain. It's under a mountain. It's under a mountain. Everything's it's hellish there. and terrible. It's modelled on the night court. Yes. So, mm. you know, that's what it's all the bad things are happening there. It's it's fairies that torture, it's orgies, fun, orgy tortures, probably doing the same thing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? There's some horrible, really smelly fairies that have big long teeth and like to beat people up and yeah. the worst. rip their eyes out while they're still alive. You know, it, they probably yeah. go into it. Like, there's there's no, again, there's no like rowing back from the fact this is a very bad place. Yeah. So there are and, things and like properly violent where oh, yeah. real people are really being killed. Like oh, Claire Bedor. Claire Bedor. Oh, Claire Bedor. Yeah. Sorry, Claire. <laughs> uh. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com And so obviously Feyre has to, you know, go and and it's that nice thing of like it's the 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 woman who fights for her man yes. back. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's he she is very much saving him. Yeah. And she has to undergo these incredibly dangerous trials. The first of which is when she is put into a pit with a giant blind worm. She is, but with big teeth. Big, big teeth. Big teeth, giant worm. Big trying teeth. to kill her, and then she's like charging around this thing and with like a spe- it's like a spectator sport. It's so exciting. It feels like a video game. Yeah, yeah. It feels yeah. like you're playing a video game while yeah. you're reading this. And um she She's like falls into. She realizes that like the the pit that she's in is actually like a human like mass grave. Yes, and she ends up like getting herself out of the pit by like taking bones and like bone laddering her way up, and then creating a kind of a incredible trap. bone trap for this giant worm, and then watching it impale itself. So again, like she is strong. Okay? Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's not fucking about here. She thinks this through. And she murders the midden yard worm. <laughs> midden yard worm. <laughs> Which is such a moment for everyone. It's, it's gr- everyone, lo- it becomes legendary. <laughs> it does. Um, but she, she, this is all her. He's literally doing nothing at this point. Hamlet's yeah. just sort of sitting around going like, you shouldn't be here, but silently. Yes, he's just kind of standing there watching it. And his kind of thinking is like, oh, if I show any emotion, then it, things will be even harder for her because they know if they know how much I love her. Yeah then it'll be worse for her, which is sound enough reasoning, but not great. And when you read it, because obviously we've read the second book and yeah. I've read the third, uh, you read it and you go, oh, okay, I kind of buy that. But I got annoyed by it. Like I remember, sitting, yeah. I remember sitting there reading it for the first time and thinking, this guy's a bit, I'm not sure about him really. Yeah. I feel like you might be able to do better. I feel like you'd have some sway here. <laughs> like this this man, he's got, he seems quite aggressive, but also... He really sits on his hands when he should be out put about, <laughs> trying to fight for you, get you out of this horrendous fairy prison. The person who does help her is also the person who's taunting her, which is this Resand or Resand man of the decapitated heads earlier in the book, and 
he appears. Seems to be helping. And she so she breaks her arm in like very, very badly and is kind of bleeding out in her cell mm-hmm. um after the worm thing. I mean <laughs> the worm battle. <laughs> that sentence alone is like <laughs> I can't yeah, believe. she's just bleeding out after the worm battle, but <laughs> the Prince of Darkness is coming, so yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. So the Prince of Darkness comes and he's like Ha ha ha! He's basically just like, uh, lol, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, you're probably going to die, though, if you don't do something about that. And she's like, I'll spit on you. You're an awful man. You killed Tamlin's family or whatever yeah. it was that he did that was terrible. Um, but she has no choice except to make a pact with him. A fairy bargain, which, I mean, anyone knows is always a terrible idea. Never make a fairy bargain. Never make a bargain with the fairies because they always are better at it than you are. They've always thought of some loophole. They've always thought of something. And yeah. in her case, she gets a very jazzy tattoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As a sign of their now bond, that yes. they are bonded for life through this bargain. She gets a big black tattoo. He's very into henna. He's really, he's really into sort of yeah, like these very elaborate. That is, you do, yeah. it does get explained eventually why he's so into them. Yeah, but yeah, he does the big kind of henna thing all up her arm. Yeah, and in a sort of Hades and Persephone myth way, we get a bit of a transition here. She agrees to give him a week of every month. Yeah, for the rest of her life. Essentially, yeah. she agrees to go on holiday with him for a week every month. <laughs> so he becomes like her period, I guess. Like yes. <laughs> My dark menstruation. I know. I felt, I, I was like, I wish they had like a moment where they're like, which week? Because <laughs> it's kind of strongly implied that, that he's going to do this for nefarious purposes. And yeah. he does have this quite sort of. And it's very like, oh, and he's, he basically wants to steal away Tamlin's bride. Yes, every and, week. And humiliate every him month. and, you know, whatever. Yes. And yeah. So there she is. So, but then he like fixes her arm and gives her help in these trials. Yes, while taunting her. While taunting her, and he's a real prick about it. Oh, he really is. Again, you sort of go, oh, they're just—they're all awful, aren't they? Yeah, these men. Dreadful. Fair, I mean, it's sexy. Obviously, males. it's sexy, but it is awful. It is. Like, it's, yeah, and you sort of get to the end, you think, oh, she's surrounded. Why didn't she just stay below the wall where things were good? She had a yeah. nice house. Her sisters were being less bad. No, no, she's up there fighting for her. Can we talk man. about when she goes to the party with him? With with oh yes we can we can talk which about which is a scene directed left directly from the, the mummy, mummy. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's favorite racial wise vehicle yes the tell me about love. the party well obviously uh, Reese the Lord of Darkness who has stolen a week of every month of Fair's life wants to show off his newfound toy at the parties thrown under the mountain the big torture orgies mm-hmm. and so he dresses her in essentially just a strip of ribbon that <laughs> yeah. more or less covers her boobs and her uh, lady parts <laughs> I was like her fanny, fanny. <laughs> is fanny the right word for this I don't yeah, know yeah it just like not, fanny should exist in the world of this it book it doesn't really feel <laughs> like it should my fanny was covered by this diaphanous silk um, and uh, then he paints her in an elaborate henna pattern all over her body just like in the mummy at the beginning so if anyone touches her he will know and he will be able to go and fuck which is an erotic concept oh. <laughs> I was kind of like, she's very good at the old erotic concepts. She really is. And she she clearly just saw that and went, that's going to work absolutely perfectly for me. I'm taking it, I'm using it, and she does it so well. So every night, Farah is sort of taken out and paraded around and fed on fairy wine so that she's absolutely off her head. And she just wakes up with smears all over her from where he's been touching her, which is just sort of slightly rapey, but also very clear that he never does anything below the belt. It's always arms and legs. It's always arms and legs. And yeah. Yeah, she's kind of his creature. And again, you have this kind of slightly odd relationship with it where you go, well, I'm, I, that's bad, but also... It's that thing... And it's kind of hot, and that's what's great about fantasy, erotica. That's what's great about fantasy, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like... Um, we've had this conversation a couple of times in the podcast, but it's like the thing that you fantasize about or get turned on by in literature does not have to reflect perfectly your politics. No. And I think sometimes it can be freeing to read those things about... Yeah. And as well, like, you know, I feel very passionate about this. Like, like women, their sexual makeup lives in a world in which that they are exploited. And many women, I would wager almost every woman has to find a kind of horniness within that exploitation. Yeah. And it's a big part of maturing sexually, I think. It's even, what was that amazing book? Um Catherine Angel, the I've forgotten the title of Unmastered. it. Unmastered. Unmastered. Yes, about, by about Catherine Angel, a really good book. Yeah. Sometimes you just really want to be dominated. It's actually you want that. You want yeah. that to to sort of cede control and actually that trust and that power between two people is incredibly erotic. Yeah. Obviously, in this scenario, she hasn't got a choice about it. But you, as a reader, get to sort of go, "That's 
the sort of situation that you're never going to experience in real life unless yeah. you've got a and very kinky partner. Yeah. And <laughs> who's into paint. <laughs> who's really into painting. Which, you know, has the my friends are designers. <laughs> he has the time and the patience to henna your entire body and then take you out dancing. I mean, look, I would love to see that. So. <laughs> but you don't get to experience that. And then through this book, you do. Yeah. These, you get these very odd, very overblown, very hyperbolic situations because, you know, neither of us is ever going to be fighting for our man's life under a mountain full of murderous fairies. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Gavin has powerful enemies. Well, I'm single, so <laughs> I'll be fighting for myself that oh, doesn't work oh no no okay it's very tragic but you don't you, know, you don't get this experience in real life <laughs> no, you, no you're right yeah, yeah. and you and with these books you do you get to to sort of to live through these very odd very kind of specific extremely situations extremely specific situations that just absolutely hit like these kind of and she's really good at knowing where those like little itchy oh. parts in your brain are. She does. She know- and I feel like she really listens. It's one of the things I'm absolutely convinced about about uh, SJ Mass, the author, is that she she really reads her reviews and her yeah. fan feedback and her good read stuff. And she reads it not to, to sort of sit there and be like, oh, I'm great or, oh, God, I feel bad, but to be like, what do they want? What is it that yeah. they want to see in these I books? I think that's really fabulous. And like, I think the YA slash NA world gets and the fandoms get a really bad rep of being like oh they just cancel people and they're always like you know dragging some poor debut author through the mud because she's done something wrong but there's also this thing of like there's such an engaged fandom and the authors are so engaged with those fandoms but in in ways that feel like healthy and enjoyable for both parties you know well, I think not all the time. Obviously, I'm sure there are bad. I'm sure there are terrible well. times, and I know that I've certainly seen plenty. You get a lot of criticism of SJMS online, but I I like the fact that she seems to be in dialogue, not necessarily directly. She's not always. No, she's not there she's not, answering fans she's not all answering day. Questions, but you see. So I think with this series. She got some, I think, very well-deserved criticism about their lack of diversity. I mean, obviously, it's fairies, but yeah. it was very white. And by the third book, she had actually started to sort that out and to be much more... You, you in the second see, book, even, there is... in the second book, you begin yeah. to get it. And you, you look at that and think, that's that's unusual. You don't get many authors who... Will, don't just double down? Yeah, who won't you know? be like, this is my vision, that's what I'm doing. She kind of read, clearly read this feedback and went, well, actually, it's a fair point. I maybe yeah. have gone a little bit Eurocentric with this novel and so I'm going to do something different I'm going to make sure that there's more representation in these books and I like that about her I think it isn't something you get in many other different areas of fiction you don't get it in highbrow literary fiction for sure no you don't and I think if if an author were to do that in in the highbrow literary fiction they would be seen as sort of weak or kowtowing or whatever but I think the nature of these books and how they're read and how they're consumed and discussed online you do need to have some kind of relationship with your fans I think I'm right in saying that um the SJ Mass started out writing fan fiction. So yeah. she was part of an online community. I like that a lot, though. Which, it's nice. I mean, let's also be fair. She who, started who really young. Like she's, she's, all, she's only our age. Like she's yeah. 30 years old. I think her first book she was about 16 or yeah. something. So she's really done amazing things. And yeah. started out writing in these kind of, these fictions that were dialogues with existing works and began to turn that into her own work and think has never lost that ability to listen and to engage with her fans and to know what they want and to get inside their brains and say, they want to yeah. hear this right now. I'm going to give it to them, which is so satisfying. It's very There's good. nothing worse when you're reading a book and being like, God, I'd love to see. I'd love this to happen. I, and then so, it not happening. Right. I, <laughs> so this is a lot. Um, we, we haven't really talked about the twist yet, but we oh. do have 15 minutes left. So I think we should talk about it. How have we managed to get through so much I know. Time I'm just the first about. book, which isn't even our favorite book. Like, I mean, yeah. So then, okay. So she beats all the trials. Yeah. There's a riddle. The oh. answer to the riddle is love. I don't want to get into it. I honestly, that was the thing that annoyed me the most. I literally, I saw the riddle and I kind of went, well, it was obviously love, isn't it? And then... I remember we, I was in like the kitchen in the French house and I was like, it isn't love, is it? And you were like, I don't know. I think with that one, I I think I actually gave it away. I was like, it fucking is love. Of course it's fucking love. And I'm so annoyed that she couldn't work it out because it's such an easy yeah. riddle. She's there like, is it cholera? Yeah, it's like, oh, it's a sickness birth? that cures as well as... Mm. It's, it's, um, when it kills, it, I, when I kill, I kill you slow. Oh, that's love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's awful. Anyway, so she solves all the trials um, and then her and Tamlin are free to be with one another. They, they go back to yeah. the spring court. It's the big kiss, kiss, kiss. Yum, yum, yum. But and then we open on book two. And this is where everything changes. So book one, you've enjoyed book one. You've yeah. had a good read. You've the sat, worm. You've enjoyed the worm. You, <laughs> you felt like, you know, you were watching, you were watching some slightly like trashy TV. You're not particularly like emotionally invested, yeah. but you appreciated the horniness and you appreciated the worm and you appreciated the happy ending. 
<laughs> and then book two appears and it's like, oh my God. So it opens what? and and this character is going through some pretty serious PTSD. Yeah. And we've seen that in YA before. In The Hunger Games, it does it quite a lot yeah. of like Katniss surviving these things. And there's the shades of that here. And so you think it's like, oh yeah, she's having trouble sleeping, blah, blah, blah. And then it's that kind of thing of she's having this relationship with Tamlin and they're planning their wedding. She is the kind of the the civilization is going back to normal post this terrible curse. She is being held up as this kind of mm. poster girl for peace and unity. But um, Tamlin, it's this combination of he's so incredibly worried about losing her again, but also he's very conscious of consolidating his own power and he wants her to be a kind of a Meghan Markle, he right? He wants her to be the trophy wife. Yeah. That he can look like, after and keep precious. She's survived safe. these impossible things. Yes. Like she's like almost died several times. Key plot point, she does die and comes back as an immortal fairy herself. Yes. So by this point, she is actually also very strong and powerful. She's not the kind of little breakable human that she was before. Yeah. She is on a par with Tamlin. Yeah, she so has... All, she, she's leveled up, whereas yeah. before she was his thing to protect his little precious tiny yeah you know glass ball now she's very very resilient and but also she's hard to kill. because all of the high these high lords of these different courts they have all it's very important um sort of donated a bit of their power yeah, like in order to which is a very beautiful scene yes. but then in the second book we like oh it's actually we we all did this thing to save this girl who saved our kingdom but actually she has imbibed a bit of all of our powers so now and she's that's very strong. she's basically a super weapon yes and Tamlin is afraid of people knowing that and kind of wants to quell it as much as possible he refuses for her to get any kind of fight training he doesn't really let her do anything centuries are sent after her everywhere she goes mm. and eventually she's dressed in these kind of like cake like confections of yes clothing and she's pretty and she's little this kind of high priestess is sent in to sort of manage her and yeah and you get she has this this, this horribly enclosed life in the spring court where before in book one you see compared to her human life this is a place of safety and a place of calm and refuge yeah. and you, you immediately go oh yes she's she's very cold and hungry and now she's at this place where she can have all the food yeah. and she's never going to get cold and she's not going to have to hunt in the woods yeah. and, she could and you're so relieved you're, you're like so oh relieved. she's not starving anymore great but by the second book these there are all these bits of the first book that you, you've been without realising you've been breadcrumbed you've been fed all these tiny bits of information that are a little bit kind of like jarring a little bit of a bum note in this book yeah. and by the second book they're blossoming into some really odd things and you're going this is this yeah. is not a nice scenario. and also because Tamlin's world is the only bit of the fairy world we've really seen we, th- yes. we take everything in us as the reader both yeah. fairy and the reader take everything that he says as read as being this is the way things work here because we trust him because yes. we love him and he's who else we got yeah, exactly. And he he loves her and we believe in that story. But then like slowly it's like, oh, he's an incredibly controlling, aggressive, yeah, bad boyfriend. Pleasant bad boyfriend. He is such a bad boyfriend. Yeah. And I think And that, this is where the real spoilers are starting now. This is, yeah, if yeah. you don't want to get spoiled, I mean, you might already have guessed it. It's not the hardest thing, but yeah. turns out Tamlin not great. Not great. Not great. And this for me is what made me love this book. This is why I love this book. Yeah. Is that I don't think you really get to see with that much nuance, like a bad boyfriend in literature. Yeah. And not in this, you sometimes get... Especially who, someone who's set up as a wonderful yeah, one. Yeah, someone who's set up and you see you see why she falls in love. You you totally understand what Tamlin's appeal is and you kind of fancy him yourself because he's hot and he's great and he's saved her. Yeah. And then by book two, you well, not by book two, but during book two, it's just carefully deconstructed. It's sort of like, actually, these kind of controlling aggressive relationships are not healthy and yeah. they're not okay and you don't have to be in them and that's a message that I don't think young women get to hear very often particularly yeah. in in things like erotic YA fantasy where these kind of uh, like animalistic uh, domineering men are painted as sexy and yeah. we're, we're meant to love them and to find them attractive but they also don't have to have any sort of accountability or control or to listen to their partners and Tamlin just he gradually and expertly like I think she's done an incredible job here reveals what's underneath the mask which is someone quite sinister yeah and incredibly sinister um, and so it, it kind of culminates really in the first third with their wedding mm. which is like a royal wedding essentially yes. because she has become the hero of this town and and he is the this heroic beautiful spring king mm-hmm. um, and they she's walking down the aisle and she's just like clutching her fists together just being like oh my god someone needs to save me this is wrong this is wrong this is so wrong and then that's when 
Reese shows up. Just call in the Hades Persephone bargain. Oh, which is the most, it's like, oh, thank God you're you here. There. <laughs> I mean, externally, she's furious and she like, like beats him with her shoe. Yeah. But like, <laughs> in- internally, she's like, oh, thank fuck. And she, but that's the thing, that moment, and you, you've also, I've, you've all been there, that thing in your head where you go, no, do you know what? Being back in a mountain of um, fairies being tortured is better than being at this wedding right now. Yeah, my wedding. Rather, she would rather be stolen away to the night court where, as far as she's concerned, she's going to be just subjected to all kinds of horrors yeah. for the next week. Hieronymus Bosch. Hieronymus Bosch style than stay at her own wedding. And that is not a moment that you read very often in no. fiction. You go, no, this is actually horrendous. And she gets there and what happens? He dresses her in comfy pyjamas and lets <laughs> her have a sleep for a week. And at this point, <laughs> your affections entirely transfer. I think, oh, well. <laughs> and, all, and importantly, it's like, oh, you know, it's the night, like the night court isn't what everyone thinks it is. Mm. Like it's basically been painted as this like terrible place, but actually it's like, oh, it's kind of cool and arty and fun. There is a big, big, art quarter in the night court <laughs> and she loves to paint oh, she, we know from the beginning this lady she loved to paint and she it's, loves to paint <laughs> and again like the plot is so complex and there are so many different bits to it but yeah. for me the sort of the, the beating heart of this book is that that shift where she gets to realise that sometimes you can love somebody and it not have been a good idea yeah and go oh yeah I don't I don't have to stay with that guy I'm not and it's incredibly fair as well because yeah. she has this moment where she's like I I loved him yes but I also was starving and vulnerable yeah. and no one had ever loved me ever or even really given me the time of day before and I would have loved anyone anyone who was kind to me and anyone who offered yeah. me a safe haven in this horrible horrible life that she was living yeah. she would fall in love with but that doesn't mean it's the right thing for her. It doesn't yeah. mean he sees her. It doesn't mean he recognises who she is. It doesn't mean that he's good for her in the long run. Yeah. But you know who is? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Caroline. Who is? I think it's the guy who steals her away once it, a week. It might be. It might yeah, be that guy. But again, with that, it's not... Once that started happening, I was reading, going, oh, God, is it going to be just... Is she just going to be parceled around? And it's like, oh, she's she's been with Tamlin and now she's going to be handed over yeah, to yeah. Reese. And that isn't what happens. This is that whole second book is a story about personal agency and about her getting to choose who yeah. she wants to fuck and who yeah. she doesn't and who she, want to And who fuck. she wants to be as well. And, yes, and, and gets, what she wants to fight for and not fight for, you know, and what's important to her. And it's really... It's really wonderful. It like, really is. <laughs> it really feels like I, I was so shocked when I read it that it made me feel so many emotions as well as so deeply horny at parts. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll stress again, it is horny. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, like, I feel like we, we haven't... Oh, There was one scene I was reading in my parents' living room. My parents were there and I had to, like, close the book because I was like, I can't be this oh, genuinely yeah. aroused within 10 feet of oh, my parents. Oh, God. So what's really sexy about their whole kind of romance and, what again, like, it's too much. She's good at sexy but she's even better at sexual tension scenes Ugh. and you know and there's this kind of thing where um, so Reese has to keep up the kind of sense that he is this like wicked terrible terrible man um, he's so actually he, soft as a kitten underneath. soft as a kitten so lovely and so they, they go into this Hieronymus Bosch painting place yes and and he just pl- pretends that she's his plaything. Yeah, and she pretends along with it and they sort of put on she's this big she's back in the henna again yeah, she's back in the henna in the tiny tiny dress <laughs> and she's and they're sort of like writhing around each other and like playing at being sub and dom essentially, yeah. but it's all very safe. Is it? It's very safe because they trust each other and they're having fun with it, and it's for a greater purpose. But it's still incredibly. It's honestly, it's so erotic. And yeah, I, I, it, it's you're sitting there thinking you're reading a story about a man sat on a giant throne in the middle of a mountain with a woman on his lap, and this just sounds ludicrous. But it is so hot; <laughs> it's the hottest thing. And you're like, why can't I find someone to sit on in a giant throne room <laughs> in a diaphanous dress and henna? <laughs> like it's just let's it's, go out and get some henna you God, know? I just feel like this, this weekend writes itself <laughs> oh we are going to a festival this weekend we are. if you see anyone running around in a tiny strip of silk and too much body paint it'll be us <laughs> no, it's, it's that again she just she's allowed to be she's allowed to be horny without loving him as well which I think is such a great thing about that second yeah. book because big spoiler alert by the end she does but she loves Most him very the, much by the end. Very much, very much, very lovely. But before that, for the until the very end, she's literally not thinking, "Do I love Reese?" She's thinking, "Do I want to bang Reese?" Yeah. I like do and and I think at one point she's just kind of like, "I'd quite like the distraction." Like I've had a really bad year. There's even a bit where she's like, "Cause he's got all these hot friends. Oh, so many who are friends. lovely, and I really enjoy them." Um, and she's like, "Oh, I might 
consider banging one yeah. of them just because I'd really love to get my mind off of my yeah. hard life. And they're like, yeah, this is this would be normal. And how often yeah. do you get to see that? Because it's she's allowed to kind of step away from the partner she was supposed to marry, not because she's in love with someone else, but because he wasn't very good. And she's allowed, if she wants, to go and have sex with somebody. Yeah. But unfortunately, everyone's in love with her because she's the woman so sexy she can save the world. <sighs> That's what she is. Lovely Farah. <laughs> do, you, do you ever get annoyed by that trope of like the character who everyone's in love with? I know some people do get very annoyed by it. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I, but yeah. also, no in practice. I mean, it's so well established by this point that I can't, yeah. I, I don't really mind it. And also, you know, her sisters, people end up in love with them as well. So yeah. there are a few others. And there are so Other many. Other people get love stories. People. That's the thing. Other people get love stories. I think, I know you haven't read the third book. By the end of the yeah. third book, I was a little bit like, really? <laughs> oh, really? Did you jump the shark for you? Really too far. No, actually, no. The the third book I like is I think it's a really good end to the series. What I don't like is the novella that follows the third book, and I would not recommend reading it. That Isn't is, it just like a Christmas story? It's fair. It goes Christmas shopping. Everyone loves her. It's it's quite bad. Oh. But I mean, it's, it's, it, that is like a, such a for the fans lovely thing that yeah. I read it and went. Oh, I did not read to read that. That was not helpful. But she, by th- this point in the series, and certainly until the end of the end of the series. Yeah, she's so beautiful. Everyone loves her. And she's so beautiful. She can save the world. But I buy it, you know. Well, Jen, speaking of people who are beautiful and that everyone loves, we have to wrap this podcast up. Do you have anything to plug of your own? Oh, my God. Do I get to plug something? You do get to plug something. One or two things. The only thing I do, as you know, is tarot reading. Yeah. So if you ever want to hear about literary tarot reading... Follow Lit Witcher, which is almost impossible to spell on any given platform because we're there. Lit Witcher, as in. Lit Witcher. Yeah. And you want to hear about cards and books? We do. If you were to pull one card for this book, what would it be? Oh, God. Mm. Oh, God, what have I done to you? I'm so sorry. I mean, I want to say the lovers, but they're so obvious. Yeah. What would you pull? Oh. Strength. Strength. It is strength. It's strength. It's a woman with her hand inside a lion's mouth and being like, I got this. Yeah, no, you're dead right. Yeah. Very good. Thank you so much for coming Thank in. Thank you. I have loved this. I, I love these too. books. Go out and them. read them. Go read them. <laughs> this has been Sentimental Garbage and I've been Karen O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaralineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Dave for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com